Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. Happy Monday, May 10th, everyone. It's J.C. Sherbert with the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Hope you all are doing well today out in Gamecock land. Uh, big win on the baseball diamond yesterday, to say the least, uh, to send everybody into this week with happy feelings. And we'll talk about baseball here in a second. Hope every one of you out there called your mom. And uh, if you are a mom, had a great Mother's Day. I uh, just want to say a special Mother's Day to my mother, because without her, I probably would not have what I do have. You know, mom uh, has been there to uh, applaud me during my successes and to kick me in the butt during my failures and to knock me down a notch when I got too full of myself. And I'm the oldest of four boys. And most of that time she spent as a single mother. So uh, that's a special lady right there. And I know all of you feel the same way about your mothers and uh, you know, I'm friends with a lot of you guys on Facebook. I don't know your real names with your big spur handles. Uh, I know some of you, uh, but just, you know, I'd say 80% of the people I'm friends with on Facebook are, are Gamecock fans. And it was just uh, <clears throat> very touching yesterday to see all the Gamecocks uh, out there with their moms, just all the people right there on, on Facebook and social media. So much of what you read on Facebook these days is garbage, <laughs> but um, that was a bright spot. I think I logged on two or three times just to see it. And I, I liked all the posts that I saw in my feed and, you know, certainly was a, a good day to see all that. Like I said, there's a lot of bad news out there these days and, um, you know, Mother's Day is sort of what it's all about. And so shout out to my mom and shout out to all the moms that uh, are affiliated with each and every one of you. Certainly a, Special day. I know it's belated because it was yesterday, but uh, better now than, than than never on that. Gamecocks are in the middle of a commitment watch. Uh, Shane Beamer, you know, he doesn't tweet Spurs up like Muschamp did. He tweets welcome home whenever there's a commit. And that came across this weekend. And um, we're waiting on the official announcement. Uh, I can tell you, I can't tell you who it is. I'm not going to ruin the kid's moment. Red doesn't like to do that either. I uh, don't know why he's barking right now. But um, it uh, it's one of those things where, you know, not going to spoil the kid's announcement or whatever. I will say this. The commitment, looking at the, cast, no, the class calculator on 24-7 sports, the commitment should move the Gamecocks up toward the top 25 as far as class ranking goes. And that's where you want to be. I mean, Gamecocks have a lot of work to do on the recruiting trail. This commit, I believe, will be commit number five. Um, you know, there, there's a lot more, and we're going to get into some of that here in a second, uh, one specific position, but uh, a lot more to be done with this class. But I think if you want to finish with the top 25 class, you want to kind of stay in range. Um, you know, and, and I know that, like I said, I, I, I didn't mind the fact they had the 79th ranked recruiting class or whatever this past year simply because it was so transfer heavy. Um, and I thought that was smart given the immediate needs on the roster. And um, so we got that taken care of. Uh, and, 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 you know, I've explained that. But I, I do think that, you know, this program historically 
um, finishes in the top 25 in recruiting. Uh, and that's, that's led to mixed results, obviously. But uh, I think that, you know, if you can get back in that range and stockpile that, you know, that, that that's really one year where your number was down. Uh, but it's a small class. And like I've said many times, the 2020 class all redshirted and only one of those guys has, have left and that's a top 20 class. So, you know, with the 2021 deal, even if some of those guys don't pan out and, and the small number means it will have a small impact on the roster, those guys are distributed throughout uh, the different classes and stuff. And so get back toward the top 25. That, that's kind of where you want to be. Now you're going to move forward and, and as the program continues to collect talent and get better and, and win games, uh, you know, you, you kind of will expect more, you know, especially with some of these elite guys that are in-state. Uh, you know, this year in-state, I think probably Antonio Williams is the guy the game guys have the best shot at right now. Um, you know, Clemson obviously geographically had some advantages this year with uh, – you know, the Lucas kid at Malden and the kid at Greenville High, and then there's a kid at Greer. I mean, when three of your top guys are in Greenville County, and then the other one they got, Adam Randall is a, from Myrtle Beach, is a receiver. And, you know, obviously Clemson's very attractive to receivers. So South Carolina should be too. But, you know, you, you get an in-state offer at receiver from Clemson. I think that means something these days. They don't always offer, you know, the in-state receivers because they, they go all over the place and get them. Um and so it's kind of like the, the luck of the draw a bit this year. Uh, but I think that, you know, moving forward, you know, down the road, the Gamecocks are going to be, you know, right in the thick of it for a lot of elite guys. And even in this 2022 class, I think Carolina's got a shot at uh, putting together a daggum good class. So, so that commit will kind of get, you know, those of you that only want to track the number. And, uh, and I don't blame you. That's fine. Well, here's some good news on the number. Uh, it's going to move the Gamecocks up pretty significantly uh, in the uh, in the rankings. Probably not within the SEC so much as nationally. Uh, SEC they'll probably just go up a spot or two. But you know, like I said last week, right now Alabama's a, the number seven team uh, in the league. Gamecocks are eleventh, and it's uh, Tennessee, Auburn, and Ole Miss are behind them. I, I guarantee you at least Auburn and Ole Miss will be much higher than the bottom two classes in the league. And I think it's a function of number of commits at this point. Um, so we'll see how it's going uh, and we'll see about that commit. And I'll break that guy down as soon as he does it, you know, later on this week or whatever. Defensive tackle recruiting the big guys on the inside. We all know it's very, very, very important. Always has been, always will be. And uh, our guy Hale McGranahan uh, on the big spur uh, had a good report today about a uh, an official visit scheduled for within the season, uh, and I'm going to get to that here in a second. But it's a, it's a D tackle uh, kind of guy. Oh, I know his name. I'm just pulling it up right now. Couldn't find the post here. But uh, going from North Carolina, Neil is his name. Curtis Curtis Neil, I believe it is Curtis Neil. Um, and, you know, this is a guy that 6'1", 290 pounds, uh, four-star kid out of North Carolina. Curtis Neal is his name from Huff High School in Cornelius. Uh, number 10 prospect at his position. Uh, you know, Ohio State, Wisconsin, uh, those guys were scheduled for officials over the summer. But 
He says he's not taking officials over the summer now. Ole Miss is in the mix. You know, and the thing about this kid, too, is, is with North, I don't know what North Carolina's been doing with him. Maybe they're not really into him. Maybe he's not really into them. Uh, Huff is up near Charlotte. And sometimes those kids kind of want to go out of state. Sometimes they don't. Uh, but the Tar Heels, you know, are, are not really a big, huge factor here at this point for whatever reason. And uh, so that's a good deal for Carolina, you know, because you can go up there. It's right close to home, that type of thing. I wouldn't say the Gamecocks lead at this point. Uh, I would say they're firmly in the mix, however, uh, to get him. Um, And we'll see how it goes. He scheduled it for the first weekend of the football season, the Eastern Illinois game. Uh, And so if he's uncommitted by then, you know, you just never know. And I I think, too, he'll make a couple of unofficials this summer. And that's going to be big, especially for a kid like that. You know, he's going to get in the car and take that hour drive and say, well, this is really close to home. Um, You know, Wisconsin and and some places like that are pretty far away. Um, And so I think that will help. Uh, You know, and then the other two uh, official visitors, a defensive tackle, Felix Hickson, who I told you about from Jackson, Georgia, really good looking prospect, plays strong, athletic. Um, He's coming in on the June 7th visit date it's kind of a, a monday-ish official visit sort of deal uh and then dominic james four-star guy out of uh bradenton florida img academy originally from prattville alabama uh gamecocks are in the thick of it with him i i feel best about hickson uh second would be james and then third right now would be neil but gamecocks could probably go two for three here uh and if they do uh i think that's a heck of a group uh, for defensive tackle right now with where the program's at, the needs, uh, you know, combine it with the young players that they have at this position on campus. Uh, Cause you always want to look big picture at everything. And uh, I think what you got to do is just keep stacking them. You know, you, you don't want to run into a situation like the game guys did in 2014 where your defensive linemen all graduate or go pro early like Kelsey Quarles did. And you're left with, you know, one or two guys, and you have to have a transition year. And then, of course, that 2015, they brought in Quay Lewis and, and Dante Sawyer and Ulrich Jones, some JUCO guys to kind of fill the gap. Those guys weren't even coached in 2015. Lance Thompson got them to peak, I think, in 2017, which was good. You had a Taylor Stallworth there that was a guy that played a lot. But, you know, you, you just don't want to hit that lull. Um, if you're young on the interior of the D-line at some point, that's fine but you still want to have guys. And, and so I, I, I like the strategy here. Um, you know, James is the highest rated of the two. I, I think Felix Hickson looks pretty good on film. I, I'd need to see him in person before I'd say he's a four-star guy, but uh, on film looks really good. And then Neil's kind of a, a big time plugger on the inside, you know, big wide bodied guy uh, out of North Carolina D line heaven. So can't really go wrong there. Um, so that's kind of the defensive tackle. I, I, I don't know that, you know, there's not going to be another guy that pops up because I think there could be. Uh, I'll say this. I think that if you're just looking to circle guys right now as we go into this recruiting period uh, and things are going to change, you know, the board's going to shift. Uh, there's going to be guys getting offers from camp, guys that they back off of. Uh, we're about to hit full-blown recruiting time in June. Uh, you know, you look at this and uh, if you want three guys to kind of pluck out um those are the three that i think i would i would take a long look at if you're just talking about defensive tackles 
uh, at this point. Mentioned the baseball team, the Gamecocks baseball team had um, had uh, a rough weekend. <laughs> um, two of the uh, you know two of the three games did not go their way. Uh, mounted a rally on Saturday, which kind of helped the Gamecocks on Sunday in terms of Mississippi State's bullpen. I'll say this, you know, I'm not a baseball guy that uh, can break it down. Um, I just kind of watch, you know, I'm probably better at, if you're talking about the other sports besides football, probably a little better at basketball, but uh, probably a lot better at basketball. I mean, baseball, I just, I just watch it and I love it. I love the sport. I love the nuances of the game. Um, You know, you want to make me relax on a warm day, take me to a ballpark somewhere. And that's uh, that's relaxing and fun and all that. Probably doesn't have the same dramatic effect that football does <laughs> on me, but um, I, I, I love baseball. Uh, and, and what I could tell is I, I've been extremely impressed with the Mississippi State, Arkansas, Ole Miss teams that the Gamecocks have played. Now I know Carolina. You're like, wow, well, you big homer. Yeah, that's Carolina went what. Two and seven against them, <laughs> uh, and yeah, that's right. They, they did, but um, those are really good baseball teams. Uh, I think in in the SEC this year, heading in, Whittle said, "Well, the Gamecocks are going to have you know some talent and a lot of players coming back, and they're going to be good." But everybody else is too. Uh, and I think you know, talking to some guys that follow this closer than I do, baseball guys, you know, the, the feeling is that South Carolina is a good baseball team. They're not great or elite and the sec this year probably has four or five elite teams now heading into this is the week they're supposed to announce the 20 regional hosts that are in the mix or whatever we don't have a really we don't have a date on it you know but uh that, that that's kind of the deal um you know carolina's in pretty good shape i think to be one of those 20 teams when you look at the metrics i know the Gamecocks, like I said, two and seven or three and seven in their last ten. That's not going to blow anybody away. Maybe they're four and seven because I think they want two two midweekers. Uh, that's not going to blow anybody away. Um, but Carolina's twelfth in the RPI. That's the official RPI. The win on Sunday actually shot Carolina from fifteenth to twelfth. Um, they have eight RPI top twenty-five wins. That's the fourth most in the NCAA. 21 RPI top 25 games played. That's the most in the NCAA, number two strength of schedule. Six and nine overall versus the top 10 ranked teams in the country, I think, per Division I baseball. And by May 22nd, the Gamecocks will have played seven top five teams and five teams that were ranked number one at least some point in the season. Uh, and that information comes courteous of uh, JB from JB and Goldwater. And you can catch me on JB and Goldwater every Wednesday from 1230 to 130. And I'm sure we'll talk about all that, but uh, John Whittle from the big spur also has a really good article uh, where Mark Kingston kind of makes, makes the case to host a regional and all that. Now here's the thing too. I mentioned the sec and, and how many great teams there are in the league. They don't like to, you know, the same folks that like to like shove all the good West coast teams into two regionals. Uh, also sort of care about geographic balance all of a sudden, um, the NCAA baseball committee. So maybe they won't give that many to a, to a single conference. I don't know. I think, I think the league deserves it. Um, and, and it's interesting. It's an interesting year this year. Cause you look at that 
that RPI man and Fairfield at 32 and one is fifth. Are the Stags going to be hosting a regional? I don't know. I'd imagine, I don't know. I'll look up and see what their ballpark looks like. The Fairfield Baseball Stadium. I don't even know if they're qualified. Baseball stadium. I know this is exciting. Yeah, I'm looking. Well, it's called Alumni Baseball Diamond. Looks kind of similar to like Spartanburg Methodist College, maybe. But uh, nice looking field. You know, apartments in the outfield. I don't know. Uh, looking at the stands, well, I don't know. Those stands look awfully lean. <laughs> I think care. I think Beckham Field, where the Gamecocks play softball, seats more. But uh, yeah, we'll see. Really pretty campus here. Looking at that, so uh, it's an interesting year. Um, Clemson note, by the way, guys. Rumors going around Justin Ross is going to transfer. He came out on Twitter today, said he wasn't. I, I will say this. I've heard from Clemson folks that, you know, and, and they're, they're, like I said, they're really good at wide receiver. Um, so it may just be the, the the guys that are healthy and all that kind of have um, performed over him. But they, they are, they're not expecting him to be like he was. Uh, you know, that's that's all I've gotten. And, or, 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 or let me put it this way. He's not back yet. Um, and so I understand all that, you know, and the rumors, I mean, those are legit rumors. So, um, or the, I mean, sorry, that's a legit speculation, but according to Justin Ross himself, it's not true. And I know, you know, a lot of people talk about that, you know, I know that all of you are still following clips and clips is back on the schedule this year. So you, it's, it's relevant, relevant stuff, relevant stuff. So we'll kind of see what, uh, what ultimately happens. Uh, as we move forward, uh, by the way, shout out to Mike Morgan, the co-host of the JC and Morgan podcast. Uh, he was on the call for the walk-off uh, on uh, on Sunday. Dave Cox of Mississippi State. We we had it up on the site. Go check it out. Uh, Mike Morgan, the former baseball voice of Gamecock baseball, um, in there calling it for the SEC Network. Mike's had a lot of walk-offs in his career, and, and that was one of the better calls that he's had. Uh, of course, Mike also called the Jermaine Cousinard Bank against Kentucky in basketball a couple of years ago, and, you know, certainly always good to see him uh, flourish and, and do well in his career. Uh, I'll say this, too, during the draft, uh, when Kadarius Tony from Florida was drafted, they had a they had a highlight from him against Missouri, and Mike was calling it, and how do you do it? Darius Tony, you know. Uh, so shout out to Mike for all that uh, and a really good call on the walk off. And boy, that walk off was needed, right? Definitely, definitely needed. Um, Tony Morrell, BigSpur.com today for VIP members had a breakdown of, of some of the concerns heading out of, of spring practice. Um, I'll have another VIP piece up at some point breaking down the defense. I you know, defensively, it, it was a little more difficult to kind of get things together uh, on it because they just played so vanilla. And I'm trying to kind of find out a couple of things about a couple of players. Uh, but you know, May is May is a month that it's kind of a month of anticipation because uh, it's a situation where you know coaches are kind of off, definitely off. They're gearing up for this big recruiting month. Half the players are not on campus; they're off. Um, and that kind of thing. So, you know, not a lot of 
you know, we basically can review and preview and talk about baseball and any kind of recruiting thing that pops up. So uh, I'm not in any rush to get it out, but back to Tony's article today, he kind of went through and talked about the concerns. It's nothing that we haven't talked about here, but there is some in-depth scoop and information uh, from his contacts in the piece. If you want to go join for a dollar today, but uh, basically the three biggest concerns are are DB, like, like we've talked about DB wide receiver linebacker. And I'll start with wide receiver. I, I think, you know, this has been an issue for a while. I, I don't think the two different staffs are just lying. <laughs> um, there are some theories out there that, you know, it's all on the quarterbacks or whatever, but, um, you know, I, I, I know too much about it to just sit there and say that, that this group, you know, is anything other than uh, overall than, you know, maybe some potential. Now, there are some guys that stepped up. DeCarry and Joyner is one of them. You know, Jalen Brooks is another. Uh, I don't think you need seven. Uh, I think you can get by with, you know, depending on how much Joyner and Brooks have stepped up, you can get by those two. Amari and Brown sort of got hurt later, and they're hopeful of him. Or Trey Smith was up and down. They're still hopeful that he kind of straightens it out. Um, You know, Xavier Leggett was hurt. They don't know. They really don't even know what he can do. Um, you know, got to make a Blake coming in. Rico Powers is still there. You know, so, so there's some potential to do that. But depending on, you know, and then Josh Van is sort of Josh Van. I mean, he, you know, he's caught you know, 10, 15 passes every year, and, and he's good for a catch or two a game. So, you know, what I think, and my impression was coming out of the spring game, is you're going to see a lot of EJ Jenkins and Jaheim Bell. And they may be, in, and Kevin Mullins too. Uh, along with Nick Muse, and they may be called tight ends, but they're going to do some different things. <laughs> uh, and that's fine because that that's those guys are probably, as far as polished receivers go, and uh, ability to make plays in passing game, you know, those two guys are, are probably up there, you know, with everybody else. Um, and so I, I agree that the receiving position is a big concern. I, I think there's just too much evidence to say otherwise other than like hope, you know, you hope, you know, Leggett is big and as fast as he is. Had he not gotten hurt and had injuries, you know, how, how much better would he have been if he'd played the whole season last year? Um, I sort of think in, as his, in his freshman year in 2019, they should have really tried to coach him up more and, and get him in the mix, but maybe he just wasn't ready. I don't know. I know he did really well in practice. Um you know, and, and so you look at it kind of like that, and there's just there's too many question marks right there, uh, and, and that gets to, to an overall point. You know, these days in college football, you you have to you have to be able to pass, and you have to be able to slow the pass. I don't know that you can stop the pass these days uh, with some of the stuff people do, but you got to be able to slow it. Um, and you know, even if the Gamecocks are dreadful overall at receiver if one or two guys can step up and then with the, with the tight ends and using them in, a, in different ways, you can still have a passing game. Yeah. You got to have a quarterback too, that can do it. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not saying that, you know, Luke Doty and Jason Brown and those guys are all just automatic and it's all up to the receivers. No, I'm not saying that. I think that, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, there's things they need to do as well, but, you know, so I, I probably have a little more hope for the overall passing game. 
than like the receiver position as a whole. And, uh, you know, the answer at receiver, I think, honest to God, is just going to be keep recruiting. Keep recruiting, keep looking around, who can help you, that type of thing. You know, who can catch the ball. You know, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see another portal addition between now and August at that spot. Uh, they are continuing to recruit and look around. And, you know, Antonio Williams is a big, big deal. Uh, a, a kid from Florida, uh, C.J. Smith, is a big deal. Uh, any other receivers they get in on, it's a big deal. And they got the right guy, Justin Stepp. I mean, that guy can put it together quick. Um, but, you know, <laughs> right now, uh, I would say, you know, if you're expecting some sort of renaissance and, you know, you're going to throw it all on Colin Hill and Mike Bobo last year, uh, I would think again, because I, there, there are still some big concerns overall about the receiver position. That doesn't mean one or two guys didn't get better because Joyner and Brooks certainly did. That doesn't mean they can't have a passing game because I think Bell and Jenkins and Mullins and those guys are going to play a big muse. They're going to play a big part in it. But I'm here to tell you, honestly, uh, the receiving position, receiving core is an issue. Also linebackers. Now, linebacker is a red flag because the guys weren't – number one, health was an issue. Sherrod Green, Muhammad Kaba out. Those guys – those two could be your starters. I mean – in all honesty. Uh, Debo Williams has to get more ready. Uh, he's got a chance to be a really good player, very instinctive. But at linebacker, as we all know, if you don't know what you're doing, you can look silly quick. And that means lots of running yard, rushing yards <laughs> for the other team because you get out of your gap or take a false step and boom, you know, the athletes are just too good at this level. Um, and that's a concern for the run defense because as good as the defensive line can be, if your linebackers are bad, you know, you, you're, you're going to have issues. I mean, you're, you're going to have issues. And uh, I really think that Damani Staley and Brad Johnson, you know, they did the best they could in the spring game. But I, I think that, you know, you want to kind of know why the offense was able to line up and run it. but And that's outside of Zaquandre White having an outstanding uh, individual performance. And why did I mean I I didn't see, I mean did you guys see last year, White break tackles like that? Did you see the vision last year that he displayed in the spring game? The patience maybe running the I didn't, <laughs> I didn't at all. So, you know he's improved. Kudos to him. Great individual effort, but also, you know the D line only does so much against the run. Your linebackers have to play pretty well. And there are some guys getting out of position and things like that. And I think Damani Staley and Brad Johnson can play for this team. I don't know that they're ideal as starters, you know, maybe one of the two, I don't, I'm not sure, but uh, they need to get healthy there quickly. Uh, was disappointed in what I saw out of Rosendo Lewis uh, in terms of, you know, this is a guy that hasn't played a whole lot in three years. He's been injured for whatever reason, you know, sometimes guys like that don't come back. Um, and I think that Rosendo, it's going to be a big summer for him. I mean, he needs to, he needs to get back and, uh, maybe it takes him a while. Maybe it takes him a full season of playing spot duty or special teams or whatever, but, you know, Rosendo, if he could get back and become the player that we kind of thought he would be coming out of high school, that would help. But right now he's not there. He's behind Damani Staley, Brad Johnson, Debo Williams, those guys. 
So getting Cobbleback, getting Bam Scott in from junior college, I think is going to help. Um, you know, is he a guy that's going to change the world at that position? I don't know. Uh, I know he's athletic. I know he likes to hit. I know he's got a big frame. Um, Jamar Brown's playing some safety. Is he a better, you know, is, is it better to put Jamar Brown at will linebacker uh, than at safety and take your chances? I, I don't know. So those are all questions about that position. Um, and it's one of those spots where, you know, kind of midway through spring, I started feeling better about it. Now I, I don't, I feel worse. Um, and I think it's just a matter of getting healthy and getting these guys ready to get, you know, playing with a full deck because when you're not playing with a full deck, it, it's not going to, not going to matter. Same thing at safety as we switch to the defensive backfield. And again, you have to be able to stop the pass or slow it these days. Um, you know, RJ Roderick, Jalen Foster, they, they both, had good springs and, you know, try their butts off, but you need more back there. And you got Tyrese Ross coming in from Washington State. Uh, he's set to come in in August. Can he learn everything quickly? Is he good enough? You know, those are questions. Carlin Spatel's coming in. LaDane Lee Craig's coming in. Isaiah Norris is coming in to help the defensive backfield. Um, liked what I saw out of Marcellus Dial in the spring game. Liked what I saw out of Donna O'Donnell Fortune. Um I still think R.J. Roderick can, can have a good season. I don't know about great, but good. Um, but then and there's questions, you know. I, I think Cam Smith can be a player back there, but then there's questions because you got to have depth. And in this defense, they play five at a time. And so the question for me on the secondary is you're probably going to end up having numbers back there. But who who plays and and – are they are they going to be good enough talent wise? And and I think the answer right now is it's a big question mark. Um, I do think that they played a little better than I anticipated in the spring game, but then again, we just got finished talking about all these issues at wide receiver. Uh, so believe me, Carolina will face better than that. Pretty much right out the you know right out the gate, East Carolina ish, Georgia ish, something like that. And so uh, you know those are the concerns. And, and the concern overall when you're talking about that is, you know, like I said, with the defensive positions, obviously you're concerned about stopping the pass if you have issues in the secondary because, you know, offenses these days, they're not going to sit there and just let you sack them and put pressure and run all these seven-step drops and things like that. They're, they're just going to get it out quick, and if you can't cover them, they're going to move the ball. And so that's a concern. With linebacker issues, you're concerned about the run defense and the pass defense. Uh, more so on the run because, you know, no matter how good your D-line is, you know, you, you, your issues at linebacker can, can expose it. Um, so, you, so, so that kind of molds into concern about the defense overall. <laughs> uh, and then at receiver, you know, the, the passing game on offense. And, and I tell you, when I compare the two situations, I, I feel better about Carolina being able to piece it together on offense with because of the tight ends and because of the different things you can do and the way you can kind of mask weakness, um, you know, because Carolina uh, last year, even with one wide receiver and missing Marshawn Lloyd and white one, the game, I mean, it was really Kevin, the Kevin Harris show. Uh, there were times they moved the ball, you know, you got to have good play calling too. And uh, uh, you know, we will find out about Marcus Satterfield in that department coming up. I mean, so far so good. I thought, Spring game play calls were fine. I thought the 
formations were creative. I thought the Gamecocks played clean football uh, offensively. You know, they looked like they knew where to line up, stuff like that. And then, of course, Luke Doty. So those are the concerns. And I think for this team to get to six wins, seven wins this year, they're going to have to plug some holes. And whether that's from guys that are already on the roster or hitting the portal with a later rollie or a Juco that maybe can come in late or, or whatever. I think those are the keys uh, to the season. Now, the good news is I, I don't think that the schedule is, you know, murderer's row at the beginning. I mean, you, you got Eastern Illinois, you got a good, good challenge at East Carolina. That's always a challenge. Uh, by the way, people continue to ask why that game was scheduled. That th- This game's been put off for a long time because they, when Skip Holtz was at East Carolina, they, they signed a deal uh, I think three home games in Columbia, and I'm not reading it verbatim. One in Charlotte, and they played the one in Charlotte, and then one in Greenville. And they've put it off several times. I think they put it off in 2013. Did they play East Carolina? Yeah, they didn't play East Carolina. 20, to play North Carolina and Columbia. Um, because UNC had decided that UNC had rescheduled the, the, the game in the game in Columbia to play LSU in Atlanta. So they put it back. And so that, that put the East Carolina game back and it just, it, it's continued to be pushed back. And so, <laughs> so that's where we are. Th- this was signed during the Hyman era. Um, you know, and, and you guys know, I, I defend Ray when Ray gets unwarranted criticism, but th- this was not Ray Tanner. This was Eric Hyman and Charles Waddell. And, you know, I think they got a good deal out of it. Uh, you know, do I, would it have been better to go to East Carolina like when some of those good Spurrier teams were playing? Yeah, probably. But, um, you know, it, it kind of is what it is. Uh, Gamecocks should be actually playing Georgia Tech, I think, this year. Maybe it was 19 and 20 when they were playing Georgia Tech. But that got – they booted that off the schedule because it, it didn't look like Paul Johnson was going anywhere. It's actually a good time to play Georgia Tech right now. But – um I probably, I actually probably rather play at Georgia Tech than at East Carolina this year. But anyway, um, so so that's how that got scheduled. Now the App State Road game coming up in twenty twenty five. I that that was done during the Tanner administration, uh, and I don't have an answer for that. I know it's a two for one, but still, you know, I, I'm still concerned. You know, it's four years from now, but I'm still concerned as to how that stadium in Boone's going to fit everybody in. Cause that's, a, you know, they, they played Miami up there, but Miami doesn't really travel road crowd wise. I mean, that, that that's not like South Carolina where, you know, you, you could have legitimately 15,000, that's half the stadium, uh, 15,000 Gamecocks who would attend that game. You know, it's, it's just a drive, right? Really nice setting too, up there in Boone. Um, so I don't have an answer for that, but this East Carolina game has been, push back and push back and push back and it's finally happening uh this year. So that that's what's happening there. So you got East Carolina go to Georgia. Then you got you know, Kentucky, Troy, Vandy, Tennessee. I don't know. I mean, that, you know, those are those are teams that have warts just like the Gamecocks do and issues and and all that and and I and I I expect you know probably the the media to pick Kentucky and Missouri over the Gamecocks in the division, but I don't I don't think it's I don't think there's a huge gap, um, honestly. 
Uh, and you may say, well, Kentucky beat Carolina 41-18 last year. Yeah, at the end of the year, and uh, go back at that game. And number one, Luke Doty played terrible in that one. And, you know, freshman quarterback. He didn't have his best game on the road in Lexington. Uh, and number two, go look and see who the Gamecocks were playing on defense. Because that the, the defense was completely depleted. I think that I talked to somebody that said, you know, Mo Caba, and he ended up getting hurt. And then Daryl Ware and Mo Caba were the only linebackers they really even had left at that point. They had to play Gilbert Edmond at linebacker a little bit. Um, wasn't ready, probably not even a linebacker. You know, so so look, man, I mean, that's you know, that that was an ugly game, ugly score. Uh, not indicative of what could happen in Columbia where both teams are at full strength. I will say this. Uh, I don't care who they're playing. The game guys have to stay healthy because I, I think what we're seeing, you know, like I mentioned, all this concern about linebacker, well, you got a lot of guys that can really help that are out or either not there yet. I mean, so, you know, you really don't know. And, and I think this is a case with South Carolina football in general. And, and probably we can all say what we want, but if you really pointed to what, what, what is the one reason, you know, if you, if, you, if you could just say one reason why South Carolina hasn't been as good or has struggled, has lost 19 of 27 games, I think injuries would be at or near the top of the list. Has to be. Has to be. You know, because these guys, you know, they've been missing a lot of players, a lot of key players, um, you know, and that's not to excuse the times where they have been healthy and the laid an egg because that's happened too. But injuries the last few years have been an issue. They have to stay healthy. Even during the Spurrier era, I was talking to somebody that coached during that era and, and Steve Spurrier, you know, we all know that he can call ball plays and, and all that. You know, I've talked at length about, sort of one of the secrets to his ability as a head coach is everybody kind of relaxes on game day and just goes and plays ball. Uh, and I think that helps, you know, you're not going to see Steve Spurrier give any run through the wall speeches. Sometimes he plays, you know, I hope you dance, <laughs> things like that. It's, it's uh, you know, but that relaxes everybody. You know, you've always read the story about before the Gamecocks went to the swamp in 2010 and won the SEC East that, Urban Myers marching around the football building saying prep continues right on up till kickoff and it's a championship game and all that. And they call Steve Spurrier and he's sitting out in the sun at the Ocala Marriott sunning himself. Yeah, man, we haven't got a game tonight, you know. <laughs> so I've talked about that at length. But, but the other thing he did, he was fanatical, and they had to do this, uh, about keeping everybody healthy. And he said, and, and I was told him, he said, if that meant we went out in shorts on Tuesday, that meant we went out in shorts on Tuesday. He's like, that's just how it was. And, you know, that team, his teams did stay. I mean, we all know the, the tragedy of the Marcus Lattimore injuries. And, uh, you know, there were times in 2012 where Connor Shaw was a little banged up. Um, and then 2011, there were a lot of running backs hurt, including Lattimore. But, you know, that there were very few things where, Oh my God, Alshon Jeffrey tore his ACL in, in, in preseason practice. Very few things like that. And, um, you know, they were fanatical about it. And what I was told was, well, JC, you know, our top 34 could compete with anybody. But once you get beyond that, 
it's lean. And, and that's, that, that's just how it is at the University of South Carolina. It's, it's hard to build depth. But it's hard to build depth at a lot of places. I mean, you know, it's <laughs> the best depth in the country is in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. How about that? Anybody else that they go through the number of injuries that you know the Gamecocks have at times, they're they're going to take a step back. Now maybe they take a step back from you know eleven and one to eight and four, you know, because it's all relative. But got to stay healthy. That's a big big key to this coming season uh, if the Gamecocks want to come back and get to a bowl. And, and I've said a few times too, everybody's focused on two and eight, two and eight, two and eight. Keep in mind that was a two and eight season against an all sec schedule. Um, you know, usually there's three sort of built in wins. Now I'm not, I'm not saying certainly would not predict Carolina last year would have beaten coastal. That was the opener, by the way, originally scheduled coastal. Could you imagine Will Muschamp may have been like, go oh, right after that, like one game in, had Coastal come in and cut the Gamecocks. I'm not so sure they would have in a season opener. Now, if they'd have played Coastal in November, I'd have thought Coastal probably would have won. But September season opener, I don't know. I don't, I don't know about all that. So, um, but yeah, they had Coastal East Carolina Wofford on the schedule. God, Wofford would have been tricky had the defense been depleted like that. But you know, if you, if you just talk about that, like, so two-win conference season, you're three and one in the non-conference, lose to Clemson. That that's five and seven. You know, and and I think that team could have gotten to five and seven, four and eight. You know, whatever. Uh, maybe a little better had uh, it not been a brutal death march to the SEC. But uh, you, you know, so so it's not like they went two and ten. And split their, you know, lost two non-conference games, only won two games, and, you know, went winless in the league or whatever. So it's it's a different kind of two and eight. It's still two and eight. That's still a record they need to improve on. But um, it's not as bad of a two and eight as, as, you know, had there been a normal season. So it's not – I don't think that getting to six, given the schedule, is going to be that big of a jump. I just don't. I mean, that's, that's probably one or two games – improvement in a normal year. And I think Carolina's got the players coming back to do that. Um, but like I said, when, when you, when you struggle to, if you struggle to, if, if you struggle to pass, and if you struggle to stop the pass, that's an issue. It's hard to win. It's going to be really, really hard to win. And so hopefully they get these things together. It ends up being a, a pretty solid year. Um, you know, and, and the game guys get back to, Doing what this program usually does is go to go to bowl games. I mean, since 2000, with the exception of this recent terrible run, which is the worst this century, Gamecocks usually can win seven, eight, and go to a bowl. I mean, that's that's kind of the baseline. That's the minimum expectation. And I, and I think everybody in a year one of a, of a coaching situation would take that. I think, um, you know, I, I think. People didn't get all excited about Muschamp the first couple of years that, with that first team because, you know, the, the Clemson game happened and that was so ugly. And then, you know, the next year they won nine. You know, the two best wins were NC State and Michigan. Uh, didn't really beat any of the big – didn't really play that many good teams that year. Um, and then 18, everybody's, you know, willing to rally around and, they get blown out by Georgia and then had an ugly game at Kentucky and then 
started playing pretty good ball and then lost that game in Florida. We, we, we've been through this before. We've been through this before. Um, but I think with Beamer, you know, Beamer doesn't have the albatross of Florida hanging around his neck. Uh, Beamer's a first-year head coach. He doesn't have a track record, good or bad. Uh, you know, you get the Gamecocks back to a bowl in year one, and, you know, you, you got a lot to build toward, uh, a lot to build toward. So that's the deal there. All right, the mailbag. There's two ways to get into the mailbag. So the first way is, and follow this account, uh, at the Big Spur Pod. That's the Inside the Gamecocks podcast Twitter account. And uh, first one comes in from Tom. Tom says, when you look at the talent on the offensive line, did Beamer make a mistake not keeping Eric Wolford? I mean, I think a lot depends on how Greg Atkins does his first year. Uh, I think, number one, it's never going to be perfect on the offensive line when you play the the, the, the games the Gamecocks do because you're playing many of the best defensive lines in the country uh, week in, week out. It's brutal because you got eight SEC games plus Clemson. Clemson's one of the best D-lines in the country again this year. So, you know, to me, it, you got to be realistic. You know, South Carolina is also in a spot where – you know, there aren't exactly a ton of elite offensive linemen that come out. We in the South always believe that we're the number one talent producer across the board at all positions. That's not true on the offensive line. Uh, and I'll give you an example. Look at Ohio State and Clemson last year at the Sugar Bowl. Look at look at how good Ohio State's offensive line was and how neutralizing they were. Look at Alabama's. Alabama gets a lot of players from all over. Um, and I, I think this year they were a little bit more Southern on the offensive line, but they also go to California and New York and Ohio and Minnesota and Iowa and everywhere else and get offensive linemen. So something that's first and foremost, you have to be realistic. Uh, number two, uh, you know, you got to see how they perform under Greg Atkins before you can say anything like that and also see how Greg Atkins recruits. And so far, you know, just with the, the, the guy they've got, Grayson Maines were committed, really good, big athletic kid. A lot like the guys that uh, Wolford recruited, because I, what I'm impressed by with Wolford is he had a he had a strategy, he, and he said this. He said, "I'm going to go get the guys on the offensive line that could play for the D line, so we could match athleticism." And I think that's the best way to do it. You know, otherwise, you know, you, you're, you're sometimes taking guys that are sort of these overachievers, and they just get out athleted and blown up. You know, so so I think that was great you know, what he did. And, and I think that when you're building like he had to do, sometimes it does take three or four years to get there. Um, and, and so he's not going to be able to see the the fruits of his labor, so to speak, this year. But I think as long as Atkins coaches them up and they play well fundamentally and all that, and like I said, it's not going to be perfect. Um, and he keeps recruiting. I don't, I don't know that you can say Beamer – made a mistake not keeping Wolford. And that has nothing to do. Eric Wolford's doing well at Kentucky so far on the recruiting trail. He's a very talented. He's one of the best offensive line coaches in the country, but but Greg Atkins can be too, is my point. And I think, you know, Shane Beamer needed to uh, needed to hire people that he, you know, he was comfortable with and and, and do his own deal. Uh, and so that's, uh, that's, that's why Greg Atkins is there. Um, and Eric Wolford went to Kentucky. Wolford kind of had that lined up. So, you know, I, I don't know the ins and outs of, 
that his discussions with Shane Beamer, I don't want to know, you know, cause I, I like both of them quite a bit as people. And, um, and so we'll see, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. So I, I think that, you, you know, you, you're going to have to judge that Tom sort of down the road, you know, down the road. And the first time the Gamecocks give up a sack this year, <laughs> because they will give up sacks. They will have, they will get thrown for a loss on third or fourth or short. That, that happens to every team in the country, not just South Carolina. Um, that's not the time to do it either. I think you need to look at the body of work and, and all that good stuff. I, I am expecting South Carolina's offensive line as a whole to play better as a, as a unit than they did last year, you know, particularly in the pass blocking department, um, which, which kind of what we've had uh, at South Carolina the last few years has been one year they're pretty good at pass blocking, can't run block. Next year, pretty good at running. I think 2018 – Pretty good year in the pass blocking department. Uh, Twenty nineteen, pretty good year in the run blocking department. Not so good in the passing department. Last year, probably run blocking was the strength yet again. Um, and, and so we'll see. Uh, and look, I, I think that when we talk about Luke Doty at quarterback, you know, if it ends up trending in the same direction where pass blocking is more of an issue than run blocking, uh, I think having a mobile guy back there is probably pretty smart. Uh, cause you can use that, incorporate that and, and neutralize some of the issues that you have up front. But I, I'm going to tell you this right now. I don't care who's coaching offensive line, who's playing offensive line. If you are, um, if you're playing this schedule every year, uh, you're going to give up some sacks and some plays and some things like that. So, uh, just be patient. Don't panic at first sign, of, like it's third and one, and they hand it to Harris and he gets swarmed in the backfield. That's probably going to happen this year. If it doesn't, then you know that you don't only have a good offensive line, but a great offensive line. So we'll see sort of uh, how all that goes. Thanks for the – thank you so much for the tweet, Tom. Appreciate that. I'll retweet that. That's If I retweet your question, that usually means I'm answering it. Mark says – Good morning, JC. Which assistant coach hire is the most imperative to Beaver's success at South Carolina? I think most would say OC, but South Carolina's never had a successful season of eight or more wins without a strong defense. So I'm going to go Clayton White for now. Um, I'm going to say if you're just looking at the coaches he's hired, I think Justin Stepp. Because – you know, you look at the offense, you have pieces in place to go be successful right away. What's lacking? We just talked about it, the receivers. Well, who's the best guy to go get that fixed? Well, it's Justin Stepp. I mean, you know, there's not really – a lot of receivers coaches are sort of just recruiters and they don't really coach, you know. But there's very few guys. And then there's some guys out there that uh, are really good at coaching but don't recruit. And Justin Stepp's kind of like all of all of the above, um, and, and that's such a need. I'm, I'm going to say that now. You know, you, coordinators are always important. I mean, you, you have to have you know good plan on both sides of the ball. But uh, if you're just talking about like who's the guy that you know you're going to look back on and go, well, this is the guy that helped turn. It's going to be Justin Stepp, in my opinion. Um, and look, I like Marcus Satterfield. I you know, like I said, we're, we're going to see how he can call plays in a game. But so far, so good. I was 
uh, dare I say, impressed with the Gamecocks' whole new system, lining up, no penalties, uh, kept it simple, executed, that kind of thing offensively. Uh, defense, it's going to be really – I don't care who's calling the defense. If you don't get DB and linebacker fixed or at least respectable, it's going to be a long year on that side of the ball, folks. Uh, and then that's going to affect what they do on offense. You know, you're, you may have if, – if linebacker and DB don't get fixed, you may have a situation where they're trying to do kind of what they did last year and run it, run it, run it, keep the ball, stay on the field, protect the defense, that kind of thing. That could definitely end up being the case if if some of this stuff doesn't get fixed. So that's uh, that's the deal there. But yeah, you know I think Justice Stephen behind him would be Tory and Gray. And if you sort of follow what those two are doing in recruiting, and um, you're going to have to look back on this once signing day gets here and all that to really get a full picture. But you know those guys, you know they're not only super duper qualified to coach up two of the weakest positions on the team, but they're not just sitting around on their hands going, oh, well, what are we going to do? I mean, they're, they're out there trying to find players. And, uh, I was told they're freaks, uh, along with Shane Beamer himself when it comes to recruiting. Like, those guys are just monsters on the recruiting trail. And, you know, you, you can be a monster all you want. You still have to win and, and do some things to really break through. But, you know, if you're not a monster and, and you're not aggressive and you're South Carolina at the position you're in now, you're not going to sign anybody good. So um, that's the deal there. But I, I would say Justin Stepp, uh, just kind of, you know, from, from my perspective. But good thoughts there, Mark. Good thoughts completely. All right, that's the time we have for today, all the time we have for today. Once again, if you want to get in the mailbag, inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com or tweet to at the Big Spur Pod. We'll be back later this week talking more Gamecock sports. This is J.C. Sherbert signing off. <laughs>